Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, a motion is expected to be brought forward next week that will request Hamilton City staff to look at the proposed building of an arena at Lime Ridge Mall. This is going to end up once again as another stadium debate all over again. Also, Prime Minister Trudeau is committing to take part in two election debates, but will be a no-show for the Monk and McLean City TV debates. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. I want to get uh, right into the uh, arena situation, though. Now, we did some work on this yesterday. Of course, we talked with Jason Farr, the council for downtown, uh, about the city council's position on this. And, and as he articulated to us, I'll paraphrase it, is uh, they're going to strike a, a committee that's going to look into this. But it's on the premise that the arena is going to be downtown, and they're going to talk about private sector partners and everything else. Well, that's not quite what Michael Andlar was looking for. As we know, uh, Michael, as he said on this program a couple of weeks ago, has been in discussions with Cadillac Fairview, the people that own Lime Ridge Mall, about the possibility of building an arena right there on the mall property, at the the end where the old Sears store was. Uh, The city council didn't seem to take too warmly to that. A couple of mountain councillors did think it's worth exploring. One of them is Esther Pauls, who is the city councillor for Ward 7, which, by the way, is where Lime Ridge Mall is located. And she joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to uh, give us her perspective on this. Uh, Esther, thank you so much for the time. I'm glad you could join us. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for having me. Let me ask you right up front, because there seems to be some discrepancy among some of your council colleagues about the timing of this thing. And and I, I actually tried to correct Councillor Farr yesterday when he said this last-minute application. And I said, first of all, I said, I, that's a, an incorrect cor- a characterization. Uh, because you. there's, what, what do you, last-minute what? Is there a deadline? Do you have to have this thing done by noon today or something? Because well, yeah, you know, because I know you've been involved in this, these mm-hmm. discussions with Mr. Andlara, Cadillac Fairview, and even some city staff have been going on for some time. It sure has. It's been going for at least four years. And recently, back in April, I sat down with the mayor, some of the city council, with CF Limeridge, with Mike Andlauer, and I remember clearly saying, give us a proposal and we will look at it. And now, so they make it sound, wow, we got a, pr- a proposal. No, it was in the works. It wasn't unexpected. It was expected. So that's why I don't understand what's going on. It was accept, uh, expected to have a proposal. We look at it. That's all it, I want to say. We're going to look at it. And now they do not want to look at it. Why? Now, I, I know you can't divulge a lot of the stuff that was said behind closed right. doors uh, in the in-camera session, but it just seems to me as if council's already made up their mind. And and I know in my commentary at 8.10 this morning, I drew the analogy between this and the stadium debate. Now, you were not on council for that, but no. you were certainly paying attention to it. Uh, I, I don't want to go down that road again. I do not want to that. Now, I'm going to put a motion in on Wednesday to ask for council to look at it. I do not want another consultant. I don't want another EY consultant to see about the mountain. I just want staff to look at the proposal. I think we owe it to uh, the Bulldog owner, Michael Anlauer. And the reason is he only has one year left uh, at, um, you know, for uh, uh, First Ontario. He needs an arena. He doesn't want to wait uh, five, six, seven, eight years. He needs an arena now, and that's all I'm asking. Look at it, and then we can make a decision. You know, so a good business person does that. They look at option, and this is one option, and that's all I'm asking counselors to be open-minded. 
give us a chance to just look at it, and then we will make a decision. This has been going on for some time, and, as yes. I, and I, I know as long as you've been on council, you've been involved in these discussions, but we were, yes. we were just going back a, a few years on this thing. I mean, the first I heard of this as a possibility was from your, well, Donna Skelly, who was the Ward 7 councillor at the time, because she'd of had course. discussions with Michael Andelar about that, about the, the possibility of Lime Ridge Mall. Uh, and, right. of course, you've picked up the banner now as, as the counselor for that area and to, to be involved in these discussions. Right. Uh, I, who, yeah. who, who from the city has been involved in those discussions? I mean, you've been, you've been at some of those meetings. Yeah, Ryan Hughes was there. Uh, uh, Ray Keisler, there was, uh, you know, there were quite a few. We were sitting around the mayor's office. Now, I just want to say that uh, I do respect the mayor and council. I respect them all. And as a new counselor, I'm in this uh, position now. I just want to make sure we look at it. Because I think, honestly, if we don't, it's a slap in the face. Just look at it. Now, they, I, it seems like they think the escarpment is a suburb somewhere so far, you know. Uh, I, I, I can't believe it. Lime Ridge Mall, literally, if you go for up and down, it's not that far, you know. But they seem to want everybody to go downtown, chaotic, and, and, and go downtown. Now, I've talked to people on the mountain and said, I haven't been downtown for a long time. You know, so why don't we give a chance? I am not saying to any of the council, to the mayor, to anybody, to the staff, we have to have it on the mountain. I'm just saying, look at it. We owe it to Mr. Ann Lauer. And, uh, and you know that uh, uh, Cataract Fabio pays, what, $11. million a year. We need to do something up there. Yeah, I think it's a, a great, somebody said that the Lime Ridge Mall is like the downtown you know, we need something up on the mountain. So that's my position. I'm going to go for it on Wednesday, and we'll see where the chips fall. You know, that's all I can do. Esther, listen, there's there's more to it. I understand, you know, your your point that, that we owe it to, to Michael Andelar to at least look at the, the proposal. You owe it to the taxpayers to look at the proposal. I mean, you've got a, a, an individual, the owner of the mm-hmm. hockey club, who's mm-hmm. willing to put money up from his own pocket for this project. You've got Cadillac Fairview who's willing to partner in this. Uh, mm-hmm. th- that's that's money that is, if they don't do that, if they pull out and say, forget it, we're not going there, this, this is all going to fall on the taxpayers, unless there's somebody else in the weeds here who's willing to cut a check for this, and I haven't heard of anybody. You're absolutely right. It's all about tax base. You know, if uh, Cadillac Fairview pace right now, 11.5. Can you imagine when we put the arena, uh, parking lot, we put, um, you know, condos, it is going to help everyone, the whole city. You know, Bill, since I've been on council, it seems to me, and I don't want to divide the city. We have a great city. I want to be clear to say this. We have a fabulous city. We have great counselors. We have great staff. But I think we have to work as a city, not just always saying, downtown, we're going to do this. Downtown, we're going to do this. People are getting tired on the mountain. We need to uh, look at Hamilton as a one city. That's what we need to look. And by not doing, by not looking at his proposal, we're saying, you don't matter. Mountain, you don't matter. People on the mountain, you pay the taxes, we don't care. And I do not want to uh, uh, see that happen. I want to work together. Let's look at it. And I, let me repeat it again to be clear. 
I said, I do not want another consultant. I do not want to spend more money on that. I just want staff to look at it. And you know what? They voted on, uh, when was it? Uh, Wednesday, I guess, when, uh, that they go ahead and look about downtown only. But it doesn't mean we can't look up at the mountain. We just wanted them to keep going to do that. So, um, so that's my perception. Uh, I hope um, it's clear that I see the city as a whole city and not a divided city because we can't be divided. The problem with that attitude, and I, I understand where you're coming from on this, uh, is what I'm hearing from some of the comments from your colleagues on council is they, they have this vision of creating what, uh, what Councilor Farr called, I mean others have as well, an entertainment precinct downtown. In other words, okay. they, they want the convention center, the, the, the theater, well, the, the, the concert hall, obviously, and, and the arena, all, I guess, in the same general area. And the feeling is, and this is, you know, this is one of these omnipresent promises that consultants always make, that if you do that and create this precinct, all this economic development's going to flow from there. People are going to build <laughs> exactly. restaurants and hotels. Uh, uh, let me remind them of something, and then I'll get your comment on this. <laughs> About 40-odd years ago, the city council decided to do the same thing. They put an arena downtown, they put the convention center downtown, and they put the concert hall downtown. And that was, they didn't call it an entertainment precinct. That's just a little catchphrase that's being used these days. Mm -hmm. But they did it. How did that work out? Do you see all kinds of economic development? There's nothing around the arena. The only thing that's been built since that arena was up there 30 years ago is the federal office building across the road. You, you know, I loved your comment this morning. I heard it. it you're absolutely right. And the thing is, it, it is known. They keep saying that the, the arena really, the hockey doesn't really bring the money in, you know. So build your entertainment if you want. But let's, uh, if hockey uh, doesn't bring all that money in, let Mr. Angler show you that up on the mountain, there's more families. Do you know how many families, honestly? I got a couple of phone calls. Please let it be on the mountain. Fight for it. Because families, we have lost. Lots of families that would love to take their kids uh, to a hockey game. It is proven that it will, will increase 20 to 50% more when we have a new hockey rink. Well, and, and, and again, I know you're trying to sell the idea of the Lime Ridge Mall, but all I, and what, and what I want to do, first of all, is let's have a, a, a study about this. Let's just look at this. Exactly. And I, I, know, I know because the advocates for this idea about this entertainment precinct uh, say, mm-hmm. well, look at Front Street in Toronto. Here's right. the here's the difference. First of all, it's Toronto and we're Hamilton. Uh, right. On Front Street in Toronto, where they've got the Rogers Centre and they've got the, uh, well, there's the arena there and there's the stadium. There's something going on between the Raptors, the Leafs, right. and the Blue Jays. There's an event just about every night of the year. And I mean, when there's not, there's a concert or something. So that's why that's successful there. We don't have professional sports franchises here. We don't have a pro basketball team. We don't have a pro hockey team. We don't have a Major League Baseball team. There are going to be many, many nights when that arena, wherever they're going to build it, right. is going to be dark. It- Exactly. So, so if you if you have a franchise for a restaurant or you want to start a restaurant, and you're a small business person, Esther, you know this. Right. If yeah. you, are you going to build something near an arena, figuring that hey, you know, one or two nights out of the week there might actually be, be people in here? Of course, you're not. You're, of course, I'm not, and that's why city council needs to look at this on the mountain. It, uh, around it, there's restaurants. Uh, when the condominiums, uh, they, they have a whole plan, and I think that's what we need. We don't just need a hockey, uh, you know, rink. We need everything around it, and the mountain has that. We're on the link. You know, everybody sees that. It's easy now. Red Hill, Link, it, it is a, I think it's a great location, but you know what? 
I am not wasting the council's time. I'm just saying to them, because some people think you're wasting our time. It's just down here, and that's it. And I'm saying, please, give it a look at it. Look at it. And uh, you know what? There's nothing... There's nothing more hurtful when somebody puts a a proposal and you say, no, we're not going to look at it. And I think uh, Michael Anlauer, even though uh, the mayor said that he will look downtown, he's being very kind, saying, yes, I will look at that's my only option, but this is the option that I would like. Would you look at mine? And we need to be respectful for that, and I would love it. If on Wednesday when I put my motion in to say, please, just look at it, let staff look at it, that the council would, uh, you know, you know Terry Whitehead, he had said, nope, just downtown. I talked to him, and you know what I said? Terry, I appreciate you coming. He's going to second my motion. I couldn't believe it. He says, after talking to you, I realize we owe it to look at it. And you know what? Somebody says, oh, you change your mind all the time. And I said, you know, sometimes a politician looks at both sides and says, you know what? Maybe you have a point and I'll change my mind. So I hope. I hope all the counselors hear this. Look at it. And um, I'm not saying it has to only be there, but I want you to look at it. And that's all I'm asking. That's my first step. So I hope it works. <laughs> and and you know what? The vicinity of Downtown and Limeridge is not far. If we have an entertainment center downtown and we have the 10,000 um, uh, seat up on Limeridge, it is so close. I think it would be great. So Look at and, and again, I'm going back to the idea about private sector money. Uh, because, right. uh, and I know that some of your council colleagues, and I know you're not allowed to talk about this because it probably mm-hmm. got discussed behind closed doors. Right. Right. Some of your council colleagues figuring, you know what, we can tie this arena into the Commonwealth Games bid and we'll get federal money and provincial money. Right. That's rolling the dice. What if you don't get it? Then you they got nothing because you've already blown right. away your private sector partners right. and the feds you and the know, province aren't going to come through. Guess what, Bill? If we do it on the mountain, the Commonwealth game, don't you think we need uh, a facility on the mountain? Why couldn't we? I think it works both ways. You're just saying, no, no, uh, we need it down because of the Commonwealth game. Why is it everything downtown? Why can't we have the, re- uh, the arena up the mountain and the Commonwealth game will, will do a sport there? Listen, again, we're dividing the city. It's not just downtown. Commonwealth games will benefit even if we have the um, the arena on the mountain. Well, why does it have to be everything downtown? The sports. I, I don't. Well, I don't, you're you're asking me. Ask your council colleagues. Well, uh, I, I think did. that's the question. I, I, I'm close, so I did. I said, in your opinion, that that will the Commonwealth game also uh, be uh, beneficial if we're having on the mountain? Of course. It, this is a whole city. You know what? I sit at council, and sometimes I go, I'm going to tune out until they say the mountain. It's everything. And I love downtown. I, am not, I don't want people to say I'm against downtown. I love them. There's things going on. Fine. But they, there is a mountain. There is an escarpment that is grown by leaps and bounds. Families are there. You know, um, when we build the condos, and do you think families are going to move into a condo? No. In, hockey is family-orientated. I had, honestly, my son has three kids. They love hockey. And he said to me, Mom, do you think we'll get in it? He's so excited. I said, I don't know. I'm just putting the motion in. But let's get the excitement that we say that the 
city of Hamilton is a whole city. I want to. Well, that's that's back. the argument, and I, and I know that's what we have to. Well see just how council is going to receive this. I just got the sense from some of the colleagues' uh, comments around the table that they've already closed their mind to this whole thing, and I, I yeah, find that troubling. Esther, we got to jump in here. we got to jump in here. Stay in touch. We'll see how this develops over the next couple of weeks, but thanks Thank for coming you. on today. Thank you very much. That's Ward 7 okay. Councillor Esther Paul, who's uh, asking her colleagues to at least consider. I mean, look at it. Look at the Lime Ridge Mall possibility. I mean, this is Cadillac Fairview, who knows a thing or two about making money, and Michael Landlar, who's been a very successful and very dedicated uh, citizen. Uh, they're saying, hey, we can present a business case. Just listen. That's all. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. The uh, arena issue is uh, percolating and uh, coming to a boil, and unlike uh, a couple of other decisions councils had to make over the last number of years now, I'm getting a lot of feedback on, on Twitter and on uh, email uh, from you, the residents, and that's good because we're starting a dialogue in this community, and uh, if we're going to talk about a, a project of this magnitude, uh, we'd better have that dialogue. Uh, I'm not going to read all of them here, but uh, I'll give this one here seems to be uh, somewhat, uh, I think, uh, emblematic of a lot of the stuff and maybe the sentiment that I'm hearing from a lot of people. Uh, it says, here we go again. Myopic counselors are going to cost us millions and screw us over for a useful piece of infrastructure. Why is it that people on the mountain always seem to get the short end of the stick? There are more young families on the mountain than down the mountain for sure, and the Lime Ridge location has great accessibility and parking. Refusing to even look at Lime Ridge Mall proposal indicates an obvious bias, and quite frankly, I think those councillors who have already shown their bias need to declare a conflict of interest and step away from the council table on this issue. One more thing. There still remain many, many people on the mountain who are not comfortable driving downtown Hamilton, but who deserve an entertainment venue anyway. Let's keep in mind that the great city of Hamilton is a big place, and not all the infrastructure needs to go downtown. Uh, that is from uh, Rebecca, and I appreciate the email on that. And like I say, there's many, many more like that. Uh, I want to bring John Best to the conversation. John, of course, is the publisher of the Bay Observer and uh, has been observing a lot of these uh, activities at City Hall for the last little while. How, morning, John. How are you today? Just great, thanks, Bill. I, I guess I'll ask you the same question that I was going to ask our listeners. Uh, are, are we? Is this another stadium debate just waiting to happen? Well, there, you know, uh, if you're looking at, uh, it's got some of the hallmarks. I have to say, <laughs> uh, dishonesty, uh, leading people along, uh, information uh, being handed out selectively. Um, uh, some people in on things and other people not. I'm talking about councillors now. So yeah, it's it's got some of the hallmarks of the uh, of the stadium debate. Well, you know, so many cliches come into mind here. Uh, one of them being, of course, if you don't learn from history, you're bound to repeat it. Have we not learned after the stadium thing? No, I think it's kind of a ritual here in Hamilton now. I mean, we we've seen it uh, not just with the stadium and now this uh, situation, but you know, same thing with the LRT. A lot of stuff happening before anybody was paying attention, and then all of a sudden. Uh, bingo, here we are trying to make uh, decisions. Um, you know, I, I'm just thinking back to the last election. I, I don't recall anybody discussing uh, the city assuming a uh, hundred odd million dollars in debt uh, for these facilities. Uh, it just seems to have popped up, uh, you know, right in the new year when, uh, when the, when council, the new council, the current council was sworn in. So, I mean, my feeling just listening, and I, I watched the whole uh, mess at council uh, the other day, um, I, I just feel like we're walking into a play that's about half over, that uh, 
there's there's an understanding here that not everybody was in on. That's that's certainly what it feels like. Well, and by everyone not in on it, we're including counselors on this too. They, they, they seem to break off into little subsets here, and you know this group is talking to this individual, this one's talking to this one, and uh, and like I say, what bothers me more than anything else, and this is one of the, the I think the, the parallels between this and the stadium issue is that it sounds to me as if an awful lot of people around the council table have just made up their mind on this, and they don't want to hear anything else. Yes, and and I was listening to Esther Pulse, and I, you know, in in a perfect world, she's absolutely right. They should consider the other option. But if what they're going to do is simply go through the motions of considering it, which is what I fear would be the case, then then really everybody's time is being wasted. Um, you know, I I think Michael Andlauer has really been betrayed on this thing because he was on your show last week, and and he indicated that uh, he had been raising this issue at the highest level. Uh, with the city for the last four years, and apparently they begged him not to uh, come forward with his uh, with his uh, proposal for uh, Cadillac Fairview. Uh, didn't want to make it an election issue, so he played along. He went along with all this, and then what does he get? Um, uh, his uh, proposal, which had been ready to go for a long time, could have been freely discussed before the last election. Uh, instead, it's it's tacked on as a little. Uh, addendum to this to this uh, Ernst and Young thing that you know I mean I hate to say it but the more I look at these various consultants reports uh, I think increasingly the the way it works is the consultant tries to find out what your desired outcome is and then they give you a report that gets you there well this is it and this is we've talked about this in other issues and they seem to be doing this again is they've they've started with a conclusion and then worked backwards to try to justify it Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, in accounting terms, you call it plugging numbers. Um, you, you look at the, you know, it's, it's very interesting. It seems like the game plan, quite frankly, is to stonewall Andelauer, uh, and then he has to make a decision. Does he, does he go along with the new arena, uh, or does he move the team somewhere else? Um, and, you know, there's danger in both areas. Uh, that essentially they're, they're just trying to strong-arm him into going along with the downtown arena, They've got their fingers crossed. I asked staff, I said, I was looking at these numbers in the Ernst & Young report and uh, all these uh, calculations. I don't see any calculation in there for emergency repairs at COPS. Uh, you know, we've all heard about the ice-making equipment is maybe ready to blow up and there's something wrong with the roof. Uh, what if we have to, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, on the scheme of things, it's a bit smaller, but what if we got to spend 5 or $6 million to keep that arena going for the next four years uh, until the new arena is built, and then we demolish it. it. You know, there's there's issues like that that I I think, you know, we need to also bear in mind at least. What I found, quite frankly, insulting uh, to Michael Landlar was uh, and some staff members and some counselors referring to, to Michael's proposal as a last-minute thing. Uh, you know, four years in the making is not a last-minute thing. I mean, they knew it was out there. They just didn't want to read it. They didn't well, want to I talk to him. I lie. Whoever said that is just a liar. And there's no, no sugar-coating it at all. You know, and then you get Marula um, talking about how we're getting out of the entertainment and, con- and convention business, and at the same time talking about assuming $100 million or more in debt to build entertainment and convention facilities. Uh, you know, all over the place on 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 this thing. 
It really, um, you know, it, it's not a case of whether you really agree with the arena being downtown or not downtown. It's just once again in Hamilton, the, the process always gets a little sticky. You feel like you need a shower after you sit and listen to these people for half a day. Well, the, and there's a couple of other things about this, too, and, and I'm not one of these guys. I mean, I lived on the mountain most of my life anyway, uh, and I'm not one of these, well, I can't stand the downtown. I mean, when I was on council, I, I supported the downtown, still support the downtown, and the redevelopment that needs to go there and the, and the, and the investment that needs to happen there. I get all that, and, and we've seen, frankly, some, some pretty good improvement over the last couple of years, but not because of these three facilities. I could argue that in spite of them, and I guess one of the things that really rankles me, and you've gone through this report line by line, John, uh, is is consultants love to to just they love to just mollify the the recipients of these reports with these little catchphrases. You know, we're going to develop an entertainment precinct. Hey, that's a great idea, precinct. Yeah, that's super. Oh, and all this commercial development is going to come as a result of that precinct that's there. We've tried that, John. And it We've didn't had it work. For forty years. We did that uh, you know, forty you odd years ago. All three of the facilities in two minutes. Um, you know the, the the growth that we've had in downtown Hamilton that we're experiencing has been a, a combination of organic growth, um, uh, partly driven, quite frankly, by affordable rents. And uh, to be fair, the city had a um, an investment program that allowed condo development downtown. Those are the things that have made our downtown uh, come back to life, not uh, a 35-year-old arena and a 40-year-old um, uh, entertainment hall. Uh, they've been there forever. And, uh, you know, to, to try to suggest that replacing them with new ones is going to uh, achieve something that the old ones that used to be brand new hasn't done is, is just insanity. Well, and as I said in my comment this morning, uh, I, I think we need to temper our enthusiasm and temper our realistic uh, point of view here. This, you know, no matter—excuse me—no matter where they build this thing, uh, it's going to be dark a lot of the time, if not most of the time. It's not like Toronto, you know, where there's going to be a game of the Raptors or the Leafs or the Blue Jays. There's always something going on in that neighborhood because they've got three professional sports teams, and when there aren't, yeah, you've got some concerts in there. We're never going to get Garth Brooks in here six nights of the week or Bruce Springsteen. That's not going to happen. And the, the Junior A Hockey Club, which I hope stays here, is probably only going to play twice a week, if that, but usually once a week at home. And, and, and that's it. What are you going to do the rest of the time? So this idea that uh, this guy is going to build a restaurant and this guy is going to do this over here because that arena is there, it's not going to happen. Well, uh, even if he did build a restaurant, uh, I guess my question is, has anybody done the math like uh, – what does a restaurant bring in terms of tax revenue? Typically, restaurants are located in rented facilities. Uh, they don't typically build them from the ground up. They hire people. Um, uh, you know, the, the question is, uh, you know, what's, uh, you know, uh, have we suddenly become a champion of the restaurant industry? It seems to me, again, that the restaurants that are doing well in this city uh, are doing so without anybody helping them. They're, they, they're good restaurants. They serve good food. They they create a, an appropriate ambience, and people want to go there. This idea that we spend $100 million so we can get five new restaurants, I think, is just silly. Well, I'm not sure that you're going to get five new restaurants. And I'm, I'm proud also of the, of the organic development along King William Street and on James Street. Uh, but i got to tell you something. If you put an arena downtown uh, in January when it's about minus 20 outside, uh, people are going to get in their car if they go to the hockey game, and then they're going to drive over there. So, I mean, this idea that, you know, what's going to be near a public transit hub, that, that, that may be beneficial to the people that live downtown. But we, we all know the majority of people don't live downtown. They live, as a matter of fact, that's why the majority of the people that go to hockey games in Hamilton 
are from Hamilton Mountain, from Ancaster, from Glenbrook, and, and Stony Creek. And, and they just seem to ignore that totally. Well, the other thing about the arena, I know that a lot of comparisons are made with the Labatt Center in um, London, and, and it is a, a very successful facility. Um, when, when you're talking about entertainment, uh, talking about the kind of entertainment that, that would fill a 10,000-seat arena, you're, you're talking about top-tier entertainment because there's very few acts now that fill stadiums or, or hockey arenas anymore. There, there's a handful of them, but uh, top-notch entertainment... Uh, is is typically playing in these 10,000 seat buildings. One of the problems we've had forever in Hamilton is that if a if a major act is playing Toronto, uh, they don't uh, there there can be even blackouts and even restrictions on them also playing in Hamilton because they don't want to dilute the uh, the, the 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 fan base in Toronto. London's different because it's uh, you know it's a hundred miles uh, further down the road. And uh, so an act can do Toronto and then do London. And, uh, you know, it doesn't, the, the two communities are, are separated uh, far enough that they don't cannibalize each other's audiences. So there's a, there's a lot of issues that, that need to be taken into account. And, you know, the reason why Cops Coliseum, sorry, First Ontario Centre has been empty so much, a lot of it has had to do with that whole restriction about major acts playing Toronto uh, and Hamilton being blacked out of that process. That's that's uh, entertainment inside baseball, but that's the fact. Yeah, and it's always going to be a concern and a strategy here that it has to be developed. Uh, I, I've got a few minutes left here. I've got to ask you about one other element of this, too, that I know that council doesn't want to hear because they're going to think, oh, yeah, that's blackmail. Uh, Michael Andelar has been very, very patient for many, many years here and, and uh, dumped a lot of his money into First Ontario Centre to try to put the lipstick on a pig, as somebody used the analogy. But at some point, he's going to say, look, enough is enough. I'm a businessman. I can't keep losing money, and I can't wait for these guys to do something about this. Uh, there are other options for him. He's got one year left on this lease, as I understand it. And I know of at least two other cities that would be happy and have already made overtures in a roundabout way that, you know, if you change your mind about Hamilton, uh, come talk to us. Uh, so, you know, we, we could end up messing this whole thing up, but we could end up losing the hockey team, and then you have no major tenant in whatever arena you're going to build. Well, and, and the one thing the consultant said that I do agree with is that you do need a, a, a major continuing tenant, and uh, they can say that they didn't make any money from the junior hockey, but what it did do was, was you know, 40-odd nights over a six-month period, uh, you had uh, several thousand people uh, going downtown and, um, hopefully spending a little bit of money uh, outside the arena. Um, so, no, I, I think the game plan is they're playing, they're bluffing. Uh, they, they're, they're saying that at the, they're gambling, that at the end of the day he won't leave, uh, that they can push him around as they've done in some ways for years, uh, and that, uh, you know, once the new arena gets built, uh, he'll be happy to have the team play there. I, I, there's a bit of a... Uh, a game of chicken going on in, in in my mind, but they've they've clearly done the calculation that they're going to be able to keep a team here. They're That's... also, uh, you know, further gambling that that they're actually going to get twenty or thirty million dollars out of the private sector, and I don't know who that would be because the the one thing I did notice in the report, they talked about all the people they consulted with, and I found it rather strange that there was no mention of uh, Jackson Square. So you're, you're going to tear down an arena at one end of Jackson Square, 
They're going to build a new one, presumably at the other end of Jackson Square. Uh, there was a brief reference in the report about uh, a revitalization of Jackson Square, but on the list of people they talked to, they weren't there. And I thought, you know, you, you got all this activity going on around Jackson Square, and you and you didn't talk to them apparently. There's very a, strange. Yeah, it is. And let's there's, there's some, let's do some subtraction in addition here too. Uh, subtraction. If these these guys continue the way they're going around, say I don't even want to talk about Cadillac Fairview and Lime Ridge Mall. Cadillac Fairview's out. I mean, they're not going to they're not going to uh, underscore or underwrite an, a, a a proposal that's going to actually not even be on their property, and, and it would probably be benefit somebody else. That's insane. That's not that's a bad business. So that partnership would be dissolved immediately. Uh, but there are other people that own those sorts of properties. Rio Can comes to mind, and a number of others that may be listening to these conversations over the last couple of days and say, "Wait a minute, uh, we've got an underperforming mall. You know what? Why don't we talk about? Uh, there's a couple of them in Burlington. There's one in Brantford. There's a bunch of places you could look right now and say, you know, th- th- somebody else may just say, let's just uh, cut and paste that proposal and do it in our city. And I'm sure that's going to catch the interest of a, a, a major tenant like the Bulldogs." You never know, Bill. Uh, it's um, it, it, we're we're in for an interesting ride now. The other issue uh, that uh, that I heard Mr. Landlauer talking about last week was uh, the, the thing that he really wants is some time certainty. And I don't know where this process goes now. I I didn't hear uh, exactly what kind of a timeline is supposed to flow out of this report. Um, so uh, does that mean we're going to spend the next four or five years discussing it, or? Is the plan to uh, you know move very quickly and try to get a proposal in place? Well, I, I don't believe that Mr. Andlar uh, and the Bulldogs are going to wait another four or five years. I think they've got to you know it's time to fish your kid bait here. Yeah, they, well, they've been quite clear about that. That you know the clock has pretty much run out. So where do we go? I mean, obviously, council says yeah, you know she's going to Esther's going to present her motion on on Wednesday. I guess it is. Uh, I don't know how that's going to be received. I, I didn't hear too many people jumping up and down enthusiastically about it uh, the other day at their, their meeting. But even if they do, as you say, patronize uh, Michael and Lawrence, say, okay, I will look at it. Uh, but we've already made up our mind. Uh, that sets the clock on him, as a matter of fact, to think, okay, you know something, This I, at some point you got to say this is not working. Well, uh, that's true. And, and, you know, I mean, just looking at the numbers, you, you the mountain and suburban uh, councillors uh, out, outweigh the lower city councillors two or three to one. They have it in their hands. Uh, if they, if they, they don't have the intestinal fortitude to stand up to some of these bullies, so be it. But, uh, I mean, they've got the votes. Uh, they can pretty much make this thing happen or not make it happen. And shame on them if they just sit back and, and let something that they're really opposed to happen. That would be a disgrace. Well, we'll see. Uh, we've we've been amazed before. We've been disappointed before by the city councils in the past. But as you said, John, I mean, this idea about this entertainment precinct—it's—it's uh, it's there already. And uh, I'm I'm looking around here right now, and I see you know there's there's the federal building across the road. Uh, but, sorry, that's that's not what you call economic development. The stadium precinct. I use the same phrase, member for the stadium precinct. Okay, you got a high school, and we've got a seniors residence there. None of whom pay taxes, by the way, uh, and and nothing else. They're just the McDonald's and Dairy Queen that have been there forever. It doesn't work that way, and and I think we have to be realistic in our expectations like that. I think what we need here in Hamilton is a little bit of what Boris Johnson has gone through for the last two or three days. We we need some people on council to stand up and do the right thing. John, we'll see what happens. Under always a pleasure. Thanks so much for this.
My pleasure, Bill. John Best from the Bay Observer. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're heading into, I know everybody's getting excited about, oh, the NFL season starts this weekend. Uh, you know, it's debate season. It's going to start pretty soon. Uh, we know there's going to be an election. Uh, the writ probably will be dropped early next week. That's what the rumor is around Ottawa, some of the sources I've talked to. But uh, in the meantime, the debates have already been scheduled. And uh, what raised a few eyebrows was a word out of the Prime Minister's office yesterday uh, that uh, the Prime Minister is committing to take part in two, maybe three, of the five debates. And he will skip the other two. Is that smart politics? Is that a usual thing for a Prime Minister to do? I want to bring Simon Kiss into the conversation, Professor in Journalism and Leadership at uh, Wilfrid Laurier University. Simon, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Great to be here. Thanks. Is, is, it, is it unusual for a prime minister to skip out on a debate during an election campaign? Um, well, it happened uh, with the previous prime minister, Stephen Harper, uh, skipped, I think, uh, two uh, or three debates as well. Prior to that, I had not heard of prime ministers skipping debates, but um, prior to that, there wasn't as many there weren't nearly as many debates scheduled. So there's two things going on. One, there seems to be kind of a proliferation of debates in the last two elections. Um, and coincident, coincidental with that, um, two prime ministers have, have sort of said they're starting to skip them, at least some of them. It's, it's interesting. It's almost as if it's getting to be like municipal politics. You know, if you're running for a city council seat someplace, uh, there usually is one big debate for that ward, and you know that could be held at the town hall or the city hall or whatever the case might be. But just about every other week, uh, maybe a so, couple of times a week, there's some church group or something else, and they're all, there's a dozen requests probably for every candidate. Uh, and it's starting to get that way now at the federal level. Uh, it is, and it can be very draining on the candidates. I think what's going on at the federal level is you basically have a proliferation of media outlets. So the costs, uh, the technological, the costs of, of, of technology of sort of, setting up media outlets are, are dropping exponentially. Um, and uh, correspondingly, um, there's a lot more of them. And uh, this is a, a way for uh, for some of them to garner an audience. And so there's this proliferation of, of, of debates that are going on. You know, if you went back to the 1980s or 1990s, the media was dominated by um, a few metropolitan broadsheets and uh, two national television networks. So it was a very, maybe three tel- national television networks. So it was a um, a, a tight-knit circle. Um, today, you have a proliferation of, of cable networks and, uh, you know, magazines like McLean's are getting into the business because you can stream anything you want at a very low cost. Yeah, the, I can remember in the, some of the early elections that I remember covering, I mean, there were two debates, one English language, one French language, and that was it. That's right, that's right. Uh, and that was essentially it as far as the leaders were concerned, not to suggest that candidates for the, you know, members of parliament seats for the constituent seats uh, probably had a number of these things. How how effective are these, Simon? Do people pay a lot of attention to the debates? Yeah, the answer is yes and no. Um, people watch them. It's, it's mixed evidence uh, about how much they affect people's vote. Um, more often than not, I'd say they, they don't tend to change people's votes. Um, but I can think of a few cases where um, people say that, that a strong debate performance helped helped the party's leader. I can think of um, maybe Jack Layton in 2011 did well in in that uh, in that debate and may have helped his cause. Although, um, you know, that example uh, in, in that campaign, uh, Layton's debate performance in English was actually overshadowed by his his non-debate television performance in Quebec on Tout le monde en parle, where he did very well, and that uh, dramatically helped his case. So, um, you know, they definitely can help. Um, I think what's going on here with the Prime Minister 
uh, of the day is actually more than debates helping candidates, they can really hurt incumbents um, because uh, voters know a lot about the incumbent prime minister. They've seen his name. He's got a record. Um, and so voters tend to form an opinion of the incumbent. And um, so it's it's hard for, for an incumbent to to become more known because he's already very well known and it's hard for an incumbent to, to sort of emphasize what he wants to do looking forward rather than sort of defend the decisions that he's taken in the past. And, and we've seen that happen in past debates, not just here in Canada, but down in the States as well. I've, uh, especially when you've got multiple candidates, uh, as we do in Canada because of our multi-party system, it's almost like, okay, let's all gang up on, on the, the person that's already got the job. Uh, and you're right. I mean, there's some low-hanging fruit there because they've got a track record. And you know, I think a lot of people have already made up their mind about it. So it's it's really just bang, bang, bang. And in other words, he's playing defense, or he or she, I should say, is going to play defense all through the debate. That's that's right. And, um, and I, you know, <clears throat> I do want to – it's important to be fair to the prime minister, right? I mean, after Prime Minister Harper skipped two debates, the Liberals set up and placed this debates commission, which was a, a legally sanctioned body – um, that was going to try to organize the debate process and set some ground rules about which party leaders would be in and which parties w- would not be in. And, um, you know, that, that this debates commission is brand new. It's the first time that it's uh, doing what it was created to do. Um, and it's got the sanction of kind of parliamentary law. And um, uh, the Trudeau has said that he will take place in all the debates sanctioned by the the, the commission that has been created to do this and won't take part in debates that have been created by media outlets outside of that process it strikes me as not unfair. There's a, it's, the, the, the commission you just talked about here, Sam, it's much more inclusive, isn't it? Uh, as you say, it used to just be <clears throat> the, uh, the, the major networks, but this is uh, CBC, Radio Canada, Global News, CTV, the Toronto Star and the Toronto Star Chain, Huffington Post, Canada, Huffington Post, Quebec, La Presse, Le Devoir, L'Actutali, uh, so it, it seems to be. I think they've covered all the bases here. Yeah, it's a broad. It's they set up the leaders' commission with with a broad range of of media outlets, and I mean there are some that are on the outside looking in, and that may explain um, explain why uh, um, there's one or two debates that have sprung out outside that process. They're maybe crying foul, but I, you know, I don't know. I don't feel too bad for them. Yeah, you know, referring obviously to the Maxime Bernier situation, where the, he's not being invited because he's well, there are no members of that party. But not technically, there I guess there is since he's a member of that party himself now, but he wasn't elected. Is that not not quite not quite? I'm I'm saying um, I think McLean's City TV is outside of that leaders' commission. They're not in the leaders' commission. But oh, they, that's right. They're, yeah, they're one of the ones that have are trying to sort of set up a debate outside the leaders' commission debate. Uh, process and and that's one of the ones that Trudeau is going to to miss and I don't feel too bad for McLean City TV I'm, I'm sure they'll be just fine, um, but the Maxine Bernier situation is certainly a, a touchy one. Um, you know the the leaders commission has to decide um, uh, which party leaders get in, which party leaders get out, and there is not a clean way to do this. Um, any rule that you can think of, you can immediately come up with one or two exceptions where you would say, well, that would be a reasonable exception. So. Um, it's r- almost impossible to sort of, in advance, set down rules about who would be in and who would be out. And um, right now, Maxime Bernier and the People's Party of Canada, they're they are putting um, their case forward, they're putting their application forward to the Leaders' Commission to be included, and, and we don't know yet. Um, I, as I understand it, it's going to come down to the extent to which they can successfully make their case that they have a chance at winning in, in four ridings across the country, and that includes 
um, doing public opinion polling in four ridings that they get to specify with the, the Leaders Commission debates, and then the, the staff of the Leaders Commission, Leaders Debate Commission sort of gets to evaluate that. You know, and that, you know, there again, you know, that will not, there, there's no rule there. So it's not like, well, they have to be a, at least 20% in, in the polls in those four ridings in order to qualify. It, it will be a judgment call by the Leaders Debate Commission. It's, uh, I, I guess you can kind of, this is how Elizabeth May felt over the last couple of uh, debates uh, during election periods too, where there was, oh, is she going to be in? Is she going to be out? Uh, uh, and so I, I guess this is this has got deja vu all over again, now deciding who's going to be there. Uh, and where do you draw the line? I mean, we've talked about the major parties. Uh, there are other political parties that, that don't really show up on the radar because of their, the, the percentage of support that they've got. But, you know, if you, if you say yes to Bernier with no seats in the Commons, do you say yes to some of these other people? I, the, I think we all know the answer to that. Well, I mean, that's it. And, you know, and, and then, of course, you know, so one principle would be to kind of, you know, spread the net as wide as you can. But that violates another principle, which is, you know, um, voters want uh, a clear, accessible way to get information about the competing party leaders. And if you put 10 people on the stage shouting at each other, that hinders. So there's a complete tension between inclusion and, and uh, communicating clear information. And it's basically now up to the Leaders Commission, Leaders Debate Commission, to to decide how to resolve that irreconcil- those irreconcilable principles. We asked uh, earlier in the discussion here, Simon, whether or not uh, you know these things are beneficial to to the voters uh, or to the leaders, for that matter. And you've talked about Leighton's performance. Uh, you can lose uh, a debate, and and that could have an impact too. I, I'm thinking back to the Brian Mulroney, John Turner, uh, about the patronage appointments, and and that seemed to be the clip that got played for days, if not weeks, after that debate. You had a choice, sir, and you could have done something. Uh, and that and that had Turner back on his heels in that debate, and that that seems to be the mental picture an awful lot of people had. Uh, for sure, and then and then four years later, the situation was re- reversed, yeah. and um, uh, Turner did very well um, going after Brian Mulroney in, in, in his support for the free trade agreement, and Turner outlined his opposition to it, and uh, supposedly that that rescued uh, Turner's and the Liberal Party's fortunes, and they, they doubled their seats. Um, so, yeah, there's there's I don't think there's any sort of generalizable rules about how these things work. Um, the, probably the one most generalizable rule that I would say about the leaders' debates is that they're um, biased against incumbents and they're biased towards um, the opposition parties. Which uh, leads us to the, infa- the impact that media will have on this. And we, we talked about the consortium and the people that are going to be involved in this commission, I guess is the word they use now. Uh, as you mentioned, probably not everybody that's going to vote is going to watch the debates. Uh, which means that usually what they're going to do is form an opinion based on the, the the media coverage on these, the sound clips on the radio the next day, the, or the TV clips, or the, you know the quotes uh, in in the print media that are going to be in there. They can have a huge influence on how people see this, and that's really within the eyes of the, of the media themselves as to which they want to use and not use. Uh, for sure, that and and much of the debate strategy uh, goes uh, it revolves around trying to get. Uh, a clip or a moment or a soundbite that the media find meaningful and useful and uh, entertaining enough to to cover and report on. Um, I was just doing some background reading of the 2011 election campaign, and, and I learned um, the NDP in, internally. They had specifically set up a, a, a what they called a zinger squad um, of staffers that were um, working, trying to come up with uh, two or three or four kind of zingers, uh, quick quips to provide to Leighton um, that they thought um, 
would encapsulate the party's message and have a good chance at at, uh, at getting reported on. It's it's either a got you moment or an aha moment, and and that's and, and you're right. I mean, nine times out of ten, that's the one that's going to get used the next day. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, but that's just that's that's how uh, news reporting works on elections. I mean, every day on the campaign trail, um, you know, parties, you know, they try to put forth a platform announcement and they'll try to kind of respond to what the other parties say. Um, and then journalists will kind of pick and, and choose what the, the party leaders have said that day and and um, pick something uh, to, to, to really disseminate. It's interesting, as I'm looking at the media coverage on this, Simon, and uh, we talked about the two debates that the Prime Minister has committed to, the, uh, which uh, the ones that are, of course, being set up uh, by the Commission. Uh, they, they say there is a possibility of a third one that he may join in on, too, which coincidentally is a French-language debate. And I think whether he does that, that underscores, I think, the importance Quebec is going to have in this election. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Quebec is, I mean, it's second largest, most second most populous province, Um uh, and I think since the decline of the Bloc Québécois, I, it's become a very um, much more increasingly important uh, electoral prize because a lot more seats are in play. Um, add to that the sort of the weakness of the NDP, which had uh, the bulk of the uh, seats in Quebec um, in at least from 2011 to 2015, and um, you can see why the Liberals want to appeal there. Yeah, that uh, you just mentioned how well uh, Leighton did in the debate on 2011, especially the French language debate, and you saw that reflected, obviously, in the seat total that they got in in the subsequent election. Uh, so th- there's a lot at play here now, too. As you mentioned, the NDP has gone down. They've lost an awful lot of support and seats, and they seem to have their own problems nationally at this stage. So i, I got to figure that, that the Conservatives and the Liberals are looking at Quebec right now and saying, look, at you know, we've got to take some of those seats. I mean, I'm not necessarily sure that one province is going to swing the election, but it's going to be pretty important. It's going to be very divisive, and and um, that is one thing I will say for the NDP. I mean, obviously they're having some uh, some difficulties, but um, one thing about uh, Jagmeet Singh is that he uh, he does speak French very well, and it's uh, possible that uh, Quebecers do not know that, and uh, so that opens up space for a uh, a strong performance in French that um, that uh, may uh, give Quebecers a reason to give a second look to the NDP and Jagmeet Singh. Um, that that they had that hadn't considered before. Well, that's why they, uh, the old cliche in sports, you know, that's why they have to play the game, uh, and that's why they have to have the debates, too, because it can swing some people's minds. Simon, it's always insightful. Thank you so much for the time today. Thanks for the invitation. Simon Kiss from uh, Wilfrid Laurier University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.